0: You're listening to the audio from Tuesday Night Class at CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this teaching helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. All right, well, welcome to class tonight, and it's so good to see so many people who are here to find answers to very difficult questions. Uh, Welcome to 10 Hard Questions. I'll be your host, David Wood, for these next 10 weeks. And uh, we are going to explore some important questions and stumbling blocks that I think that many people have when it comes to matters of faith, um, especially when it comes to Christianity. And so over the next 10 weeks, we're going to be touching on, I think, some of the really important questions that people are asking. Um, now, having said that, my guess is that there are a lot of questions that uh, you may be asking that we haven't, we may not be touching on. No worries, because on week 10, on our final week, the 10th tough question is an open question. And so you could think of whatever question you want uh, for the final week. And so we will take everybody's questions, lingering questions, in week 10. Now. The only thing I would ask you is that if you have some questions that aren't answered or are not addressed in this class, then I would ask you to send me your questions earlier than later. Otherwise, it's going to be David's best guess. Uh, because, but if I have some time to prepare, then we might be able to, uh, to explore some of these questions. So November 22nd is called Your Hardest Questions, Ask Anything Night. Tonight we're doing. Uh, how can you say there's only one true faith? Next week, doesn't Christianity denigrate women? Which would be a really interesting one. How can you take the Bible literally? Doesn't Christianity promote violence? Isn't Christianity anti-LGBTQ2IA plus? Um, does the Bible? Doesn't the Bible condone racism and slavery? November first, we actually have a special guest. Um, I have somebody coming from Regent College to deal with questions of science. Um, November 8th, how could a loving God allow so much suffering? How could a loving God send people to hell? And then we'll do your hardest questions. So this is going to be fun, I hope. (laughs) Um, Now, just before we dive in, I just want to lay out a couple thoughts about what this class can look like, because there's lots of us. There's probably... um, 150 people between zoom and in person so that's a that's a lot of a lot of people and which is good uh, first thing i want to say this is that it's good to ask questions uh, if christianity cannot deal with tough questions then it's not worth following really and we should never be afraid of tough questions if jesus is who he truly says he is and if he's the author of life the source of all reality? Well, he ought to be able to deal with any questions in any area that comes his way. Second thing is I may not be able to answer your questions. Um, I, maybe I'll give an insufficient answer. I'm not too worried about that, I'd feel bad, but I, one thing I don't worry about is that the reality of Jesus does not stand or fall on how well I respond to your questions. Jesus is Lord, I just answered this question poorly. Doesn't take away his lordship, doesn't take away the fact that he's the truth, the life, and the way. But I just need to do better, right? So I can, and I'm okay with that. Third, I'm not the Bible answer man. Uh, and so, But I've invited some help along the way. Um, My colleague Marty is going to to be helping me. Um, Again, I have a, a special guest coming as well. The fourth thing is that we need to be kind. Right? And I look at you and I can see that you are kind people. Um, But we need to be kind to each other. And so we need to model how to disagree agreeably. Um, Don't fear challenges to the faith. Jesus can take it. And so let's enjoy our conversations about these important subjects. Let us honour one another. But also be willing to challenge one another. So we're okay with that? Yeah? And the last thing is keep your questions coming yeah so that's those are kind of the ground rules for uh, our time over these next 10 weeks do ask your questions and you can have octane you can have a lot of you know a lot of emotion behind what you're saying that's fine but we just need to be kind to one another especially around the table some of the people you don't know and some of you you are here you're you're, you're brand new to church and you have these legitimate questions and some of you or maybe have been um, in the journey for a little bit longer. So we all come from different places. We all good? All right. All in favor, say aye. aye. All right. The eyes are above the nose. Get it? The eyes are above the nose. Uh. <laughs> well, that's not bad. Eh? That's not bad. It's just the fact I say it all the time. All right. So tonight, what our our topic is this? Um, how can you say there's only one true faith? But before we dive in, let's let's take a moment to pray. Jesus, uh, this is all about you. This is all about you. Your word tells us that you are the truth, the life, and the way. That no one comes to the Father except through you. And that if we know you, we will know your Father as well. Lord, we do pray that you would reveal yourself to us we don't want to walk through this and just have a bunch of answers to difficult questions because that really it doesn't really do much in fact it could just puff us up our desire is to know you and be known by you in a deeper way and so we pray that you would guide our conversations We ask this not in our own strength, but in Jesus' name. Amen. So, our tough question tonight is, uh, how can you say there is only one true faith? Now, I want to do something just before we dive into this important question. I'm going to actually situate this question by asking another question. I'm just going to back up a step. And the question I want to ask is this. Why bother with faith in the first place? Before we start talking about the exclusivity of the Christian faith and the questions that surround this, we need to ask a prior question. Why are we bothering with faith in the first place? I mean, aren't we better off? I mean, we're told this we're better off without faith and religion. We're told that part of the problem in the world stems from religion. Uh, Even back in the 17th century, a mathematician, a fellow named Blaise Pascal, says these words. Men never do evil so completely and cheerfully as when they do it from religious conviction. Men never do evil so, so cheerfully and completely as when they do it for religious reasons. And you think about all the evil that has taken place in the world in the name of God. From the Crusades. To world war one to isis and we can go on and so maybe maybe john lennon was right maybe we should imagine a world where there's no religion and what a better place this would be and so are we better off without religion well there are some people that would say yes and some pretty prominent voices because we know in the early 2000s there are a handful of guys who made the point that The the biggest issue, the biggest problem with this world is religion. One of the guys, you may be familiar with him, is um, Richard Dawkins. And Richard Dawkins wrote in the early 2000s a book called The God Delusion, where he compares religion to smallpox, except religion is harder to eradicate. That's what he says. Which is kind of a funny line, but kind of mean. Um, Sam Harris wrote the book The End of All Faith." And the late Christopher Hitchens wrote the book, God is Not Great. How Religion Poisons Everything. There's even a fellow whose name, Alan DeBotten. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name right. But in 2011, he wrote a, uh, he gave a TED Talk. And and the lecture was called Atheism 2.0. And in the lecture... He presented, uh, he wanted to present a new kind of atheism that sounds and feels religious but is not religious. And so he really wanted to encourage, he wanted to encourage atheist congregations to form. And And he wanted to encourage atheist congregations that would have the same enthusiasm as, let's say, you know, a Pentecostal church, but instead of yelling out, thank you, Jesus what he encouraged them to do is to cry out these words, thank you, Plato. Thank you, Shakespeare. Thank you, Jane Austen. Now part of this is problematic because Shakespeare, Jane Austen, I think have some Christian affinity and Plato was not an atheist, but we'll leave that aside. There's another article in 2016 there was a, an Atlantic Monthly article, and that article p- promised to explain this. <laughs> Quote, Why the British tell better children's stories? Why do the British tell better children's stories? Their discovery, American stories are less compelling. Why? Because they are too Christian. And the issue is that Americans should learn from the Brits and adopt pagan things, themes around their stories. And they said, you need, to, you need to learn from the Brits how to tell a story. Draw from the paganism that you find in British stories. Paganism from, and this is what they would say, and they, they, they said, we need to learn about the pagan ideas that were found in, for example, Lord of the Rings and the Chronicles of Narnia. <laughs> Now, if you know those books, it would be a little strange because both Lewis and Tolkien were quite devout Christians. Nevertheless, there is a trend in the West, and we read about this, of a growing number of nuns. That's what they're called. Not nuns as in N-U-N, but N-O-N-E-S, nons. Um, and those are people who do not affiliate with religion. And so increasingly, they're saying, when asked what religion do are you connected with it, they're saying none. Um, and it seems like there is a growth of atheism, especially among one demographic in North America. Do you know what the demographic is? Young white men. It is, is the fastest growing demographic for atheism. It's interesting. Now, here's the thing. Even though there has been an increasing conversation about the evils of religion, there have been these, these uncomfortable articles that have also been coming out at the same time. And what some of these articles have been suggesting is that maybe, maybe, religion, let's not say whether or not it's true, religion can be good for you. In 2016, Harvard School of Public Health professor Tyler Vanderweel, And journalist John Sniff wrote in the USA Today op-ed an article called Religion May Be a Miracle Drug. Because they've pointed out that some of the benefits of religion, that there are mental health benefits, that those who are committed to religion, um, they reduce their mortality mortality rates uh, by up to 30%. There's greater optimism, lower rates of depression, less likely to commit suicide, greater purpose to life, less likely to, bore, to d- divorce, and more self controlled That's the argument. Now, Rebecca McLaughlin, now you have to realize that much of uh, these questions and uh, a lot of our discussion, as many of you know, I love to read a book and I love to present books to you. So it's drawn from this. This is a book of the year a couple years ago. And it's called Confronting Christianity, um, written by Rebecca McLaughlin. And she she makes a point, and she says something quite interesting. She says, let's leave aside whether or not Christianity is true. Let's leave that aside. Are there some benefits if we follow some of the teachings in the Bible? And she says, let's look at, at a handful of them. She says, Let's look at this one. It is more blessed to give than receive. What would it be like if we lived as if that were true? Let's leave God out of the equation, but just lived our life as if it was more blessed to give than receive. Well, it would run up against kind of our of our, our self-centered culture in the West. Um... There are studies that show if you volunteer, it's good for your mental health, that when you give away your money, it has positive psychological effects, and it can actually help countries that are are struggling. So if if you just take some of the Bible's teaching to give, that it's more blessed to give than receive, there will be some positive benefits, she would argue. The other one is this. The love of money disappoints. And if you trace the life of most lottery winners, you'll discover that their life after winning the lottery gets a lot worse than it was before. Now, personally, I've had that experience because I came as many, some of you know, I I, I was an atheist um, living overseas in China, and I worked for a company. I made good money. I could walk down the streets in Shanghai and there was nothing I couldn't buy. I had money. I had lots of money. And I was the most miserable I had ever been in my life. To the point I almost came to the point where I wanted to end my life, because who cares if I could buy stuff? The third thing, she says, is work is always better when it is a calling. That's what the Bible teaches. And she says that if you live that out as if that were true, that would actually be quite positive. If you have a job and if you know that you're doing that job is not just a job, but this is part of who you are, this is in keeping with your gifts and your passion, it makes that job a lot better to work at, even on bad days, right? And if, if you know that you're part of you're doing something that's something bigger than yourself, it even applies to less than glamorous jobs. And I've had my share of less glamorous jobs, as I'm sure you have. What's the worst job you ever had? Somebody yell out the worst job. See who can come up with the worst job. House What's that? House cleaner. House cleaner. That's pretty bad. Okay, cleaning fireplaces. Cleaning fireplaces. Okay, so like a chimney sweep like the olden days right yeah okay yeah that's pretty bad anybody say that again yes folding towels in an industrial that, that just sounds really bad okay let's see is anybody else hey that yeah i had to count envelopes to put them in a box for a whole summer you had to count envelopes and put them in a box for a whole summer. Okay, but yeah that's one hundred envelopes in each box. Okay, so let's see if I I work for a cable factory making cable wires, and my job was to go around to all the machines that were making the cable wires that were dripping grease that I congealed underneath these machines with a spatula to scrape them up and put it into a pail. That's pretty bad. That, oh that was so gross. That was so gross but regardless of how bad a job is if you know that you're part of something bigger it makes a difference in how you do your work the other one is we can really be happy in all circumstances that's what paul writes he writes from from prison he says i've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation and so rather than restlessly looking for that one town that one relationship that one job that we think is going to deliver if we can learn to be content in every situation that might be a good thing so she says gratitude is a good thing that is hard to be angry with somebody if you feel grateful self-control and perseverance are good things in our world of instant gratification those are good things and finally it is a good thing to forgive now those are just christian teachings now we're not saying anything about whether or not they're true But she says, even if they're not true, if you live that way, you could make a case to say the world would be a better place. So religion may not be a force for evil, as Dawkins and Harris and those guys would say. You could make the case to say that religion, just some of the benefits of religion, are beneficial, are are, are good for society, okay? But that leads us to the bigger question... Is that okay? Maybe it's helpful, but is it true? You might be thinking, okay, religion ain't so bad, but I'll tell you what's bad, and that is saying that your faith is true and that others are false. This sounds arrogant, and you know what? It's this arrogance that is behind so many of the problems in this world. You saying that you have somehow a corner on truth that's arrogant that's offensive and you shouldn't say such a thing so what I want to ask you and this is going to be the fun part and this is where you get to know your neighbors and you introverts are like I didn't sign up for this, too bad Um, I'm going to have you around your tables and just ask you the simple question when I say that Jesus is the only way to God that, that Christianity is the one true faith how does that make you feel, and why? Okay, so if I say Jesus is the only way to God, or that Christianity is the one true faith, how does that make you feel, and why? And you could expand that to say, how does that make most people feel? If you said that you know, to your neighbor at the workplace, how do you think that would go over, okay? So just talk among your tables, and you guys are going to have to talk online. I'm not going to put you into a breakout room because you guys hate breakout rooms. I know. Uh, so we'll you guys put down on the on the chat and let me know your thoughts. Okay, I'm going to pause the recording. Okay, let's gather in, um, and let me ask you. If and, and this is where the the conversation usually goes quiet because when I ask you to speak publicly, what what are some of the um, what are some of the responses? I'll tell you some of the responses that uh, came out through the, uh, our cyber friends, what they, what they were talking about, but let me hear from you guys. So if somebody said to you, if, uh, you know, Jesus is the only way to God, how does that one make you feel when you, to, to say that? And if you said that in, 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 in your workplace or a school or whatever, if you said, you know, that um, there's only one true faith and that's Christianity, how do you think that would go over? Okay, so two, two sides of the questions, basically. Let me just hear your thoughts. It would be rocky at first. It would be rocky at first. Yeah, on, online they're saying um, it, it's usually met with awkward silence. <laughs> and um, and then often the response is, and Pete, Pete, you pointed this out, where people go like, oh man, I'm so glad that that works for you. Like that's, that's I'm really happy for you, man, that you found some... Happiness with what well, Jesus yeah that's cool <laughs> yeah it's not for me but that's that's if it's true to you all the best yeah yeah that's you man, that's we do, we do. say again you man, that's we do, we do, we do. yeah yeah and so it, it all depends who you're speaking to because if you're speaking to someone who is an atheist their responses can be different from somebody who is uh, agnostic let's say because someone who's agnostic would say oh come on you can't just say Christianity is the only one there's probably lots of them but yeah we all believe in the the, the great unknown right um, but it's going to be different if it's atheist because they're going to say all the other all, all views of the transcendent are wrong if you're an atheist right yeah so it all depends who you're speaking to anyone else it can be very, and, and do you find that, yeah, do you find that in the last, let's say, 10 years, um, maybe the temperature's a, a little bit higher? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I find that has changed a little bit. Ten years ago, if you said this, you might run into, you probably would get some pushback, but it's different. It, the pushback may be, I disagree with Christianity because of these five reasons. Today I disagree with you because how arrogant of you to suggest that you know truth. So the the pushback is a little bit different I think in some ways. More caustic More but also for different reasons in some ways. Yeah. Yeah, it's like Yeah, and that's probably the the upside, is the fact that, um, that people will respect the fact that you believe in something, but stay in your lane and don't let that bleed over into my life, right? Yeah, that's true. In any religion. We're the lowest in North America especially group. Yeah, that you Now I would like to see that because I, I know Douglas Todd, I know um, what he's saying. I I would be surprised that that belief in in uh, in the transcendent is as low as 20%. I'd I'd be very surprised. But if you could send me that article well, to bring it it goes into more Yeah. Religion. Yeah. so if you if if you could get that to me Maxine cuz yeah cuz I Oh okay. Yeah so bring that because I, I I would be very surprised if it, if it's that if it's that low. Sorry, the the question uh, oh. Yeah the comment was that um, basically 1 in 5 in BC would have a belief in the transcendent. I I'd like to see that. I, that that seems uh, unusually low um now whether or not it it might be one in five would believe in exclusive truth i could probably see that but i would say that the default for most human beings is still a belief in the transcendent um it may not be christianity or may not be specific so we'll we'll, we'll hold that and we'll, we'll look at that um i would say that in our culture today one of the biggest offenses in our modern culture is to suggest that a religious belief is absolutely true and therefore true for everyone to suggest that a belief in say Jesus as the truth the life and the way as being objective and universal seems to a lot of people as offensive it's one thing to say hey man if that's true for you it's another thing for you to say hey this truth applies to all people And to make a claim in our current context that Jesus demands allegiance of every human being on the planet seems not just offensive, but downright crazy. And for me to say that to somebody, saying, you know what? Jesus is true for every single human being on this planet. It's getting harder and harder to say. And and you, you feel funny saying it. Because it sounds, it sounds arrogant and narrow-minded. And often the response is: hey, look, if God exists, if the transcendent, the great unknown exists, then surely he is too big for simply one religion to claim him as, as their own. Um, how can you say Jesus is the truth the life and the way how do you know I mean we're talking about God God is beyond knowing right and I've often heard people say that and the view that all religions are equally valid and that all religions and when people say all religions they don't actually mean all religions because they don't mean like the branch Davidians, or like some cults, or anything. They mean the, the main religions. The view that all religions are equally valid paths to truth is often illustrated through an analogy. And the analogy is a blind man and the elephant. And you see in your notes this handy dandy illustration that I've given you from the internet. Um, how many of you are familiar with? the blind man and the elephant analogy when it comes to religion. Put up your hand, let me see. Yeah, some of you, yeah. It's taught in schools, like it's taught in grade 11, grade 12. Um, and, and the analogy goes something like this. You'll see it in your notes. A group of blind men are describing an elephant. One man touches its trunk and compares what he is feeling to a snake. One man touches the ear and compares it to a fan. One to a tail and says it's like a rope. One to the leg, compares it to a tree trunk. Uh, One to its side, compares it to a wall. One touches the tusk and says it's like a spear. And the point of the story is this. The point of the story is clear, that you and I are limited in what we can truly know about God. We're limited. Um, we, We can't make huge truth claims about God. We need to be humble and recognize that each religion is blindly grasping and describing the indescribable. And at best, at best, world religions can at best come up with a partial truth of the way God truly is. Right? So that's the argument. Are you with me? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. Now... On one hand, any analogy that promotes humility is not a bad thing. I think it's not bad to have a certain amount of humility. And so we should not be arrogant when we're talking about things of faith. But having said that, there are some significant problems with this analogy. And and many of you have already spotted some of the problems, or you know some of the problems. Um, The analogy of the blind man and the elephant only works because the one telling the story is not blind. Okay? Let me explain. In this analogy, you have a storyteller. And the storyteller is saying, hey, nobody can know who God is. At best, you could do is just describe a partial truth, because nobody can see things clearly, except for the fact that the storyteller can see things clearly. Storyteller can see things very clearly. And so the story is usually, you know, the storyteller sits back and he looks at poor ignorant believers who stumble in the d- dark to describe what the narrator clearly sees. But then the question becomes, why does the narrator get to see things so clearly? Um, how can he see what is being claimed that is, is, is unseeable? He says, the 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 story goes is that we can't know who god we can't know what god is like but the analogy shows us that there is something to be seen and what is the thing to be seen is what it's an elephant right they're all describing the elephant so there is something to be seen and the and the storyteller can see it and so the analogy only works because it's premised on their Existing, what the analogy says does not exist, and that is objective truth. The elephant is in the room. Now, are you with me on this one? This is a little bit complicated, and it's 10 to 8, and you, some of you have been working all day, and you're like... So I'll, I'll, I'll go over it one more time, this, this is a, because often this is used to discredit the reality of God. They're saying nobody can know what God is like. At best, all we can do is describe the indescribable. And the, and the analogy is blind men describing an elephant. Well, the problem is, is that there's someone from a vantage point who can see the elephant. And someone, and this elephant actually exists. And so the very thing that the analogy is trying to disprove is undermined by the fact that there is an elephant, there is. So let's say, God does exist, he can be seen, this is what he looks like. And there's a bunch of people trying to describe him, but he, he, he does exist. There is objective truth. And so the analogy breaks down. And, and this analogy is often used to describe how Muslims, Christians, Hindus, and Buddhists, all the major religions, are describing the same thing, but imperfectly in our blindness. Now the problem again with this analogy is this is that it puts all religions in the same box. It says all religions are trying to describe the indescribable. But all religions have very different beliefs. Um, what a Muslim believes about God is very different than what a Buddhist believes. In fact, Buddhists, a true Buddhist would not believe in God. True, you know, like the OG Buddhism, um, is atheistic. doesn't believe in a personal God. And so there's a story of Tim Keller, who is a pastor in Manhattan. And Tim Keller was on a panel with a um, a Jewish rabbi and a Muslim imam. And uh, I think it was a leader. No, I think it was just the three of them, just the three of them. And they were speaking to students. And it was agreed that if Christians, so, so Tim Keller, who's a Christian, he's, he's with a, a Muslim person and a Jewish rabbi. It was agreed that if Jesus is who he says he was, and if he truly rose from the dead, then Islam and Judaism is insufficiently worshipping God. They're not giving God the honor that he deserves. If Jesus was not who he said he was, and if Jesus was not raised from the dead, it was agreed that Christians are not worshiping God in the way he ought to be worshiped. Because you can't have them all saying the same thing because they all believe different things. And so so Tim Keller and the the Muslim and the the Jewish rabbi, they all agreed that, yeah, if one of them was wrong, they're worshiping insufficiently. And all the students are like, you can't say that. And they're like, well, no, it makes sense. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, and I'm worshiping Jesus as God, and He's not God, then I'm treating God improperly, aren't I? You can't say that. And the students were just—they didn't know what to do. They, 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 how could you make such an exclusive claim? But that's where the trouble lies, and that's what trips people up is the exclusivity of our claim. Christian's claim. And, and, and so to get around this, we try to say, okay, you know, every religion is partial, partially correct with no religion wholly correct. And it sounds kind. It sounds humble. But is it? Now, this is going to maybe throw you off a little bit. But... Um, let me ask you this. Should we respect other people's beliefs if we disagree with them? Should we? How many people think we should respect other people's beliefs even if we disagree with them? Hands up. Okay? okay. Oh no, I mean being kind and respect and just saying, yeah, and, and acknowledging and Um, and, and supporting them, maybe? Okay. Because here's the thing. If I'm with someone, you know, and I, again, I, I used to be a scientific materialist. Okay. This is where I used to come from. So if I said that this world and all that we see in the universe came about by blind chance, (laughs) I respectfully (laughs) disagree Okay You just disproved my point (laughs) What you would say What you would say is I think that belief Is cuckoo bananas It's stupid I mean you could say that That belief is completely stupid But I respect you I, I totally do but that and and here's the thing a scientific materialist hears me say i believe that at the very center of the universe the one through whom all things in the universe exist and hold together is found in a man who was in palestine in the first century i would fully expect that this person would look at me the scientific materialist and say what you believe is absolutely crazy and so then we would hash it out but the thing is he could still respect me and i so the call what we're called to do is respect people we don't have to respect what a person believes No. And I, I <laughs> into with people. I to build relationships. Yeah. i don't, I've never saved a single soul. That's the Spirit, yeah. So if, if, you, if you're coming from a Christian perspective, you would never say, I'm better than you. So that's good. But you would say, if a person has a belief and you disagree with their belief, you could totally say, I think that belief is completely wrong. Now, do you have the right to hold it? Of course you do. Will I defend the right for you to hold the beliefs that you have? Absolutely. That's what it means to live in a democracy. Of course I'll support that. Will I respect you as a human being? Absolutely. Because you're made in the image of God and have dignity and value. For sure. But it doesn't mean... I think your view on the five pillars, if you're Muslim, I think it's wrong. I just think... You think Jesus... Did not die on the cross, and I think that belief is completely wrong. But I respect you, and I think that's one of the things we need to. And now it takes clarity and thinking. But um, here's the other thing: is that so? Let's say. Sorry, I see you, Karen. You're on my ice, uh, island. So let's say, Karen, you you say something that I disagree with. I think it's totally fine for me to try to change your mind. And here's the thing, by trying to change your mind, I'm actually showing you respect. I'm showing you respect because I recognize that you're a thinking person. You've thought this through and I respect the fact that you're thinking about things and so I'm going to lay out a different idea, hoping that you're going to think this way. But I'm treating you with respect as a thinking person. I'm not shutting you down, I'm not ignoring you, I'm not writing you off, I'm not canceling you, I'm not putting you into a category, I'm not doing identity politics, I'm treating you as a human being, and let's talk about this, I disagree, but that's a sign of respect. So when you disagree with someone and you try to convince them of what you believe is true, that is actually a showing respect and dignity towards another human being. What we see happening in our culture today is cancelling people, not listening to people, throwing them into a category so you don't have to deal with people. And that is disrespectful. And so I think this is really important for us to have clear in our mind. We are losing the art of debate. Uh, And we surround ourselves increasingly with like-minded people, with echo chambers, simply reinforcing what we already believe. And that doesn't actually help us grow very much, right? You hang out with someone who thinks very differently from yourself, and it's going to challenge you to grow. It just will, right? Now, let me lay out one more thing, a couple more things. Um, so in this, in this analogy of the elephant, the blind men and the elephant, what's implicit in it is that there is no absolute truth there is no absolute truth everybody's trying to describe the indescribable they're all have partial truth at best okay now some of you geeky philosopher people where, where's the problem right there wrong. yeah well there's that and all the, the the idea that okay stay with me on this one the idea that truth is partial that nobody can know the truth is actually a truth claim. It's actually an exclusive truth claim. And let me, let me show you what this looks like. Okay, all right, this is, this is, uh, this is our challenge. So look at this, I'm gonna share my screen tonight. All right, here we go. All right, this is my cool slides. Roz, you like my slides? Yeah. Okay, so here's the inclusive claim. This is how it's usually laid out. So you guys can all see that on, 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 in our cyber world. And you guys can sort of see that right okay well i'll explain what it says (laughs) i use big font um okay it says this this is a belief and this is what's usually laid out all roads lead to god it's an inclusive claim in the same way that when you're driving to hope you can take highway one or you can take highway seven and you both get there's many roads and they all lead to the same destination that's what we're told and so what this claim says is that beliefs like christianity i guess that would be hard to read Uh, islam judaism buddhism hinduism all these beliefs you know what they all lead to god they're all roads to god and we need to recognize and it's a very inclusive view that all roads end up in the same place. And it sounds so nice, doesn't it? It sounds so nice. But, but there's a problem. Here's, here, and here's the problem. Okay. You're, okay. Get your heads ready, all right? Here we go. Here's the problem. If all roads lead to God, If this statement is true, then Christianity is not true, right? Christianity doesn't say all roads lead to God. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. If all roads lead to God, if that is true, Islam is false. Islam doesn't say all roads lead to God. It's the five pillars of it, right? If all roads lead to God, then Judaism It's not right, because they would say, you have to follow the Torah and the teachings of the Torah. Same with our understanding of Buddhism. Same with our understanding of Hinduism. They all have belief systems. So if this is true, all roads lead to God, which sounds so nice. It's like, oh, we can all get along. If this is true, none of these religions are true you with me okay so you can say all roads lead to God that's fine but you have to sit down next to us because this idea all roads lead to God is an exclusive truth claim because if this is true this is false if this is true this is false if this is true this is false and so yes come alongside us you say all rules lead to God let's hash this out and see which one of these views lead us to truth now are you with me Robin you with me okay (laughs) I can see you just came from work okay all right you with me on this okay now somebody taught me this 25 30 years ago And it was such a game changer, because I never knew what to say, because people would always say, you know, can't we just all get along? Can't all roads kind of, like all religions, kind of all point to God? I'm like, that sounds so nice, but something's not quite right. And I realized that's that's what was driving me crazy. Because if all roads lead to God, that actually means Christianity can't be true. And you know, so whenever anybody says to me, all roads lead to God, and everybody's heading the same way, do you know what my response is? I have too much respect for my Muslim friend to believe that. And it's true. I have too much respect for Islam to say that that, that, that's true. Because they don't believe that. So now the question becomes, is there truth? And which one of these embody truth the best? Okay, and then we can start hashing it out. We can respect one another as human beings, but hash out our beliefs. You with me? Okay. So this is, yeah. I think this is, uh, this is worth the price of admission, these two slides. All right. Did you guys all, hey, all my cyber friends, did you guys track with that? You're with the tour? Yes? Okay, good. That's good. I just looked at all the ones that put their thumbs up. Okay, good. Now some people. Okay, I'll I'll just throw a couple more things, and then um, actually, I don't think I will. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna skip ahead a little bit. Yeah, because it's five. Um, The issue that we're facing in our culture is the issue of truth. That's one of the biggest issues we're facing. In 2016, the Oxford English Dictionary added a new word. In fact, it was the word of the year, the new word of the year. You know what the word was? Post-truth. It was the word of the year, post-truth. And so the idea behind this concept is, this, is that you and I should not be talking about objective truth, but to recognize that this idea is outdated. If you're going to talk about truth, what we ought to talk about is your truth and my truth, our personal truths. Now, we saw this play out. It was interesting. We saw this play out in a very important movement that took place in 2017, and that was the Me Too movement. And in the Me Too movement, many women stepped forward out of silence and told their personal stories of harassment and abuse at the hands of powerful men. And at the Golden Globe Awards that year, Oprah Winfrey spoke and she made a speech, and where she declared, what I know for sure is that speaking your truth is the most powerful tool we all have. Now, on one hand, the experience that so many women had is personal, for sure. But if this truth that they're proclaiming is not objective, then it's a lie. Women were commended not for speaking their truth, but for speaking the truth about these predator men. Predatory men that they had been abused. And so, objective truth matters. Now, I believe that Jesus is the truth, the life, and the way, that he's the eternal Son of God who has rescued humanity from his sins and by grace, through faith, we can experience new life and eternal life after we die. But here's the thing. If my atheist friends are correct, then I can believe that all I want. But when I die, my body will rot in the same way my grandparents' body will rot. Everybody before me's bodies have rotten. If my atheist friends are correct, then my body will end up the same way as Queen Elizabeth II. So mine will probably rot a little faster because I heard her cough and it's hard to rot. Yeah. It um, doesn't matter how deeply I believe this. If it's not true, then it's not true. And with this is this whole idea of history because some people would say that we cannot know. We cannot know. But Christianity, and I was preaching this on the weekend, Christianity is, our very faith is rooted in a person and an event that took place in history. So Christianity is a historical faith. It believes um, that what Jesus said and what he did and, and all that took place in history. Now, I agree. Because I study history. I do a lot of teaching in history. I spend way too much in history. You can ask my wife. I just live in history too much. Um, and, but I do recognize, yes, there's biases and there's, there's um, influences in terms of how history is told, and how it's interpreted. For sure, absolutely. But we cannot give up the idea of objective truth in history. That stuff happens in the past. Now, I, I say this, and all of you are like, of course stuff happens in the past, huh? <laughs> We're living in a context where the past is increasingly being reshaped, retold, or cancelled, or torn down. Um, We live in a world where the past is not um, seen as valuable. But we cannot forget the past. We cannot forget the fact that stuff in the past... uh, took place objectively because if, if we say hey we can't know anything that took place in the past we can't know anything that uh, took place before us who's to say it's all interpretation well what do you do with people who deny the holocaust and there are people still today who deny the holocaust that that under the um, nazi regime six million jews were killed in the 30s and the 40s last century what do you do with people who, 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 who spin the story of slavery in America and they downplay the, the, uh, the severity of the treatment against blacks? If you ignore the past or if you deny the objectivity of the past of history, we can set ourselves up for the same thing to happen again. And so when you look at history, we could say, that Julius Caesar was assassinated on which day? Does anybody know? What day? Yeah, what date is that? Yes, well done. March 15th. What year? <laughs> 44 BC. March 15th, 44. Now, that's when Julius Caesar was assassinated. That's historically, that's... now. Could it be that Julius Caesar was assassinated on on, on Valentine's, on February 14th, 44 B.C.? It's possible. Or it could be that he wasn't assassinated. It's possible. But we're still left with the question, was he assassinated or not? Those are still objective questions that we can ask about this. And so when it comes to Christianity, what are the three key questions that we need to ask that have to do with history? One is, did Jesus exist? Who did he say he was? And did he rise from the dead? Those are three questions of history. And how you answer those questions, how you answer those questions, will make all the difference in life. Did Jesus exist? Well, there are some people, and if you go online, and you'll find there's a lot of people who say, ah, Jesus never existed. It was all made up. So there are, there are people who say, you know, he, he didn't exist. To which we have to respond. Okay, let's do some historical research. Well, I can give you strong evidence that both within the Bible and outside the Bible that this person, Jesus Christ, did exist. And there's there's lots of um, evidence that would support that. The question is, in okay, we can agree that Jesus existed. Who did he say he was? Well, Jesus is unique in about what he says about himself. Most religions, and I was talking to a fellow about this the other day, most religions would say, do you want to know what truth is? This is what truth is. If you want to know the way to live, this is the way you're supposed to live. If you, if you read Lao Tzu, in the Tao uh, Te Ching um, which is the Taoism um, he, he points you to the way of life and you read you know, what Gautama Buddha wrote you know, or what he said um, again points you to the ways of life Jesus does not point people to the way of life what does he say I am I am life he doesn't say this is what truth is. He said, I am truth He doesn't say, this is the way that you should walk. He says, I am the way. He says, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, the life. It's my kingdom. He doesn't say, go to the truth. He says, come to me. I am the vine, yes. Receive me. If you receive me, you're receiving God. Welcome me. You're welcoming God to have seen me is to see god before abraham was i am these are words that are quite astounding and 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 you guys know the story of uh, cs lewis saying you know there's not a room there's not a whole lot of room if you study the life of jesus to make him into a very good teacher like like Lao Tzu or like like some good teacher in history jesus doesn't make that available either he's telling the truth or he's a madman or he's deluded but Jesus is unique he's unique and and not just in what he says about himself but also what the new testament says about him you read colossians 1 you read first timothy you read hebrews jesus is may he is he is the the image of the invisible god jesus is unique from anyone else And then the last question, this is key, did he rise from the dead? Because if he doesn't rise from the dead, it'd be like, well, that wasn't helpful. (laughs) Like it really wasn't. It'd be like, so so great things you said, Jesus, but you died. You said you're going to be, you know, come back. You just died. So did he rise from the dead? And that is absolutely key. And as I said on the weekend, even in ancient times, dead people stayed dead. When a person came back to life, that got people's attention, even in the first century. At all times, it does. And I think, and and I know some of you have studied this too, Um, I think there's strong historical evidence for this outrageous claim of resurrection. I think there's strong historical evidence. And I remember talking to a guy. I remember talking to a guy in Vancouver. And I was talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I said how important it was. And afterwards he came up to me and he's like, ah. I'm not. I'm not really interested in, in religion or I said, okay, okay, I said, that's that's okay. I said, but um, have you looked at who Jesus is? I don't know, I'm not, maybe, I'm not really interested. And I said, hang on, I said, look, I totally respect if, if, if you look at who Jesus is and if you come to a conclusion, I don't have anything to do with him, I want to live my own life, I respect that, you have that freedom. But man, I said, if, if this is true, if he is raised from the dead and it gives authority to everything he said about himself, you cannot be, ah, uh, about this. Because if it's true then it's true for everyone it gives authority to everything that Jesus said about himself so reject it yes but do not ignore this because the resurrection is key and I think there's strong evidence and now other people in other monotheistic religions would disagree Muslims believe that Jesus did not die but instead was taken up into heaven Jews and agnostics believe that Jesus died and remained dead. Christians claim that Christ is risen. They can't all be true. So you have to unpack that. They are exclusive claims. They're mutually exclusive. Now, and I think for us to share the truth of Jesus. It's actually honoring another person's life. Because if Jesus is the truth, the life, and the way, if our lives will only work in so far as they're aligned to Jesus, then it's incumbent upon me to tell you about this. Like, if if you pulled over on Mariner and you're heading that way, and you say, uh, which way to Coquitlam Centre? And I say, well all roads lead to coquitlam center (laughs) just keep on going if if, if you're driving that way and if i don't say anything they're going to get lost like it would be doing them a favor to say no actually turn your car around repent with your car and start going down the hill and then you'll find coquitlam center Now. And, and I think part of our hesitation is that maybe we don't realize just how important this is. Now, someone earlier on asked me about, um, OK, so what do we say about other religions? Well, I think we can say a lot of good things about other religions. Now, before I became a Christian, I dabbled into, in, in, in Buddhism. I lived in China. I, I dabbled in a bit of Taoism. Um, you know, in, in, in different things. And here's the thing in other religions, there's a lot of truth. There's a lot of truth in a lot of religions. And we can acknowledge that. And we shouldn't be surprised that there's truth in other religions. Why? Well, because the Bible teaches us that God has revealed himself in creation, that everybody has this, what is called the sensus divinitatis, the sense of God inside them. I remember, I've shared this before, climbing this mountain in, in, in China. I climbed this mountain called Taishan and I got to the very top and I remember seeing this beautiful sunrise and everybody was all excited and I was filled with a sense of gratitude but as an atheist I had no one to thank. And I'm like but there's a sense that the, and, and there's a sense that there's got to be more to life than this. And and that's and. and scripture teaches us that that god has 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 put eternity in our hearts he's given us a conscience this deep sense of what is right and what is wrong and so we shouldn't be surprised if this shows up in 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 world religions absolutely and i love our man c.s lewis that i have to quote is mandatory Um, but this is gold and i think i have it in your notes this quote yeah if you are a christian You do not have to believe that all the other religions are simply wrong all through. If you're an atheist, you do have to believe that the main point in all religions of the world is simply one huge mistake. If you're a Christian, you're free to think that all those religions, even the even the strangest ones, the queerest ones, contain at least some hint of the truth. When I was an atheist, I had to try to persuade myself that most of the human race had always been wrong about the question that mattered to them most. When I became a Christian, I was able to take a more liberal view. But of course, being a Christian does mean thinking that where Christianity differs from other religions, Christianity is right and they are wrong. But as in arithmetic, there is only one right answer to a sum, and all of the other answers are wrong. But some of the wrong answers are much nearer being right than others. Isn't that good? <laughs> I think mean, it's brilliant, yeah. And, and and there's a missiologist, a guy named Leslie Newbegin. He says, you know, this even when a person um, converts from from Buddhism to Christianity or from Islam to Christianity, there's there is a sense of this is new, but there's also a sense of continuity. Because there's always been there's already already been the practice or the desire to worship, and now it's just being better fulfilled in, 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 in Christianity. So I, I believe Christianity offers the world what nothing, what nothing else could offer. There are tools for the abundant life and for those followers to be agents of rec- reconciliation and world peace. Christianity also offers a foundation for respecting people of other faiths because all people are made in the image of God and have value. And I love this, Christianity could also recognize that people in other faiths may live more, more moral lives than Christians. Why? Well, part of it is, is their belief system that through doing good, you can be right with God. It's through, it's through our works that we can be right with God. But we do know that all of our works will never make us right with God. We cannot reach up and be right with God. God sent his son to, help, to empower us, to, to make us right with him. And so Christianity, as an exclusive faith, offers a foundation for the most inclusive society in the world, I think. Um, we can't go into this tonight. But even that desire for inclusiveness, that desire for us all to, you know, to, to be reconciled, I think is, is, is a Christian virtue. It's, it's, it's an influence of Christianity and, and culture. At the heart of our faith is Jesus Christ, who died for his enemies forgiving those who tortured, betrayed, and beat them, and who invites us to live in such a way as to bring reconciliation and peace toward every human being on this planet. And so that is why, when we go back to our original question, I think it's it's fine for us to say that there's one true faith. Absolutely. Thanks for participating in this class. If you've been engaging in classes online, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.